Welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. The ensuing show will change, transform, and otherwise alter you. Good luck. There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a horror movie. Do you want to die, Sydney? It's your turn to scream, asshole. From the streets of Woodsboro. Back to the streets of Woodsboro. We are Halloweenies. It all began with a scream. Over nine. One. One. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Halloweenies. I am one of your co-hosts, the ghost face with the most face, Justin Gerber, and we are back in Woodsboro for the podcast. And, and, we are no longer at college, we are no longer in Hollywood, we are back in actual Woodsboro for Scream 4. That's right after a month-long sojourn in Haddonfield for October, covering Halloween Kills and eh, basically every other Halloween movie and that franchise we are back to cover all things scream Four. although if you look at the poster for that movie it's if you read it it's scray 4m so i'm gonna try to refer to it as scray 4m as it was meant to be called apparently scray 4m from the year 2011 directed by wes craven who helmed the first three entries and notably kind of features the return of kevin williamson who uh well you know according to the credits wrote this entry but we'll discuss a little bit more of, of that complicated history because it wouldn't be a scream movie if there was not a complicated pre, during, and post-production history. But before we discuss who did write this movie, let's go around and discuss the first time we saw Scray 4M. And let me start off with, I'm pretty sure, you know, it's very possible I saw this movie in theaters with two of the... Uh, a co-host appearing here. Let's start off with somebody. He's he's. We affectionately refer to this person as being across the pond, even though even though he's moved several times actually in the last five years. Several times, he's never actually lived overseas, but he's not living in Chicago anymore. Who is this person? This is Dan Dewey Caffrey. I I wanted to oh. say Dracula, but I couldn't resist. Yeah, we saw this. I know I saw it with Rothman. And I maybe there. you, I think I you guys are both there too. Wasn't it at the theater in Chicago? Uh, oh gosh. The one right across from Pequod's pizza. What, yes. What theater is that? I think that's where we that's saw right. it. And I have to admit, I, I remember liking it. Not maybe not as much as the first two, but I thought it was an improvement over three, but I, I honestly, since then I, I couldn't really remember much from it. And so it was interesting rewatching this because it was one of the few horror sequels where my memory had just kind of faded on it a little bit, um, which is interesting because some of the topics they get at in the movie have just become bigger and more relevant since then. So it was a very interesting rewatch and I'm excited to talk about it. I think, yeah, Mac, let me spoil who this next person is. <laughs> who are you again? This is Wolfman Marnie from Stab 7 Gerber. Complicated. I think it's Stab 7, right? So I didn't see this with y'all. I 
hadn't seen this film. And so during the very, at the beginning of COVID lockdown, I watched all the scream films and I finally watched four because it was streaming on something. And I don't know why it took me so long to watch the movie. And I actually ended up really quite enjoying it. And and I thought for the most part, I liked it. <laughs> and I, was I am stunned. By you did that. not see this in theaters. Wow. I did not see it. I did not see it when it came out. Not until kinda, last year? Just kind of out on it for some reason. Yeah. Because wow, I, I, I just never saw it. Never saw it. Uh, by the way, Marnie, Marnie Mac uh, is in the actual Scream 4 universe. She's not in st- oh. Stab 6 nor Stab oh, 7. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Not that it's complicated, but <laughs> there you go. <sighs> All right. I mean, I love the opening, but <laughs> regardless, I remember enjoying it and then coming up to do this episode, I really didn't remember it very well at all, even though I just watched it. So I wasn't quite sure what that was trying to tell me, but uh, yeah, for some, I think the things that I liked about it the first time rang more true this time. And I think the things that I didn't like were more uh, blatant this time as well. So I've got a lot of kind of mixed bag, but I I genuinely liked it for the most part. Y'all kind of jump on with, Specifically what Dan was saying. I remember we left. We were all pretty much of the same note, I felt like, Dan. I think we were kind of like, okay, hey, it was pretty good. It was actually not bad. And I think we kind of universally rang out, well, better than Scream 3. And <laughs> I know talking to uh, Halloweeny Mike Rothman, uh, and I know Mike Vanderbilt would agree with him, they both think that this is actually the worst of the franchise. Uh, I disagree, man. I, I, know, I know. Well, Vanderbilt, I think, has Scream 3 at number two. And I think Rothman's got Scream 3 at number 3. But Vanderbilt Scream has 3 at number, at number 2. You know, we shouldn't talk a, about rankings Vanderbilt right move. now because who knows? Who knows? Or, you <laughs> yeah. know, we're ever yeah. rankings episode. we got to keep it all fresh. Who knows what we're going to be thinking about in two months? All this all this rankings are always in flux, much like True. Kanye West's Life of Pablo album. You know, it's just a constantly evolving record that's never, never be done. Stone. Never be done. Mac, were you going to say something? No. no. Sounds good. Well, we do have a very special guest for this episode, and off off mic, they were saying how much they hated this movie, so it's going to be very interesting to, to hear their thoughts on the actual recording. Uh, please stay, I'm kidding, everybody. Please state who you are and uh, and your background, not only with the Scream franchise, but with Wes Craven in particular. <laughs> Hi, everybody. I didn't know it was supposed to come with a nickname. Uh, I guess you could say I'm DeAndra, a.k.a. Sassy Sydney Prescott Sledgehammer. I don't know if that works. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she is in my holy tr- trinity of final girls. Um, so hello to the Halloweenies audience. As I said, my name is DeAndra, and I am a, a massive Wes Craven and a Nightmare on Elm Street fan, and I love Scream so much. I um, I actually started out, in the horror world, I feel like I was a late bloomer. I came into it about the age of 14 and uh, just really fell in love with Nancy Thompson and uh, started cosplaying as her and just obsessed over that for many, many years. And during that time, my love for horror has grown and uh, scream. Uh, so no new nightmare is my favorite of all of the a nightmare on Elm street films, which explains why I love scream so much because a lot of people say that nightmare really led into scream. And there's actually been some debate on it over the years, which is super weird, but it definitely did lay the groundwork and love the franchise, but I absolutely love scream Four. I was in college when it came out 
I had a friend that I met in a class and didn't know any other horror fans personally. She was somewhat interested in horror. And I thought, oh my God, someone else. And we went to Applebee's the night it came out when they used to do midnight premieres, which I don't know if they do that anymore. But we went to the midnight premiere of Scream 4. I think there were maybe six other people in the theater with us. And we were both so excited. And I just remember... You know, the the handful of us clapping and and uh, when Sydney says the line about the originals, we were everybody was screaming and clapping and we were all so excited about that. And uh, I just have loved this movie ever since because of what it says about fame and the Internet and where things were in 2011 versus how much they've grown now. I mean, everything about this film was kind of prophetic about how people can use the internet to get quote unquote famous, make a living, make a name for themselves. It was so small back then. It was just starting out. Now it's just blown up. So I love this movie and I just have loved it more and more over the years. Yeah. Let's, let's stay in that lane with the themes of this movie and and how it's actually helped age, age this movie uh, quite well. Honestly, a lot like stream three which was heavily derided at the time, is still probably my least favorite. Who knows what we're going to say in our rankings episode coming this January. But Scream 3, what that had to say about the predatory aspect of Hollywood is really amplified now, 20 years later. And I think that this movie also had incredible foresight into not only where social media was 10 years ago, which when you think about it, was still blossoming. Twitter had only been around for a couple years. I don't even think Twitter's mentioned specifically in this movie. But the aspect of the the social media celebrity or just the celebrity culture that is uh, kind of nailed down in this movie has absolutely become prevalent and very much the dominant force. Uh, Jill says at one point, you know, I don't need friends. I need fans. And that's become a huge touching point when it comes to, you know, Instagram filters and TikTok. And, and, and tic- I, I was thinking TikTok. a lot about TikTok oh, with yeah. this movie, even though TikTok was so, so, f- I mean, TikTok's still new in a way. TikTok, I don't even think was around. Was that even around 10 years ago? I don't really think no it way. was, but I again. I don't think so, at least not in, not in the US anyway, yeah. I remember, I think it used to be Musical.ly maybe. No, that might've been later, but I remember TikTok used to be something. And then I think it came back, but it's like, it was like nothing back in the day. Yeah, most of the yeah. things were still somewhat fresh, but they were definitely yeah. on the rise. I think Kevin Williamson has always had that ability to find what's happening that can still be talked about years later, which I think is why even though these movies are so specific a lot of time about what they're referencing, especially with movies, they still are always fun to go back to because they're dated in a positive way. They're not dated as in, oh my God, this thing again. You know, they're just, they're time stamped in a fun way. But I'm, listen, I'm saying I, I'm so old that I remember when it was called Tic-Tac-Toe. You know, we used to play on the playground <laughs> in the dirt. You know, we would just take a stick and X and O's and who gets the three X's, three O's. Dan, were you, what were you going to say? Of, of Dan, what No, were you I, w- I was going to say, th- I, I think about this a lot, even when watching movies like Clueless. And um, I rewatched the Brady Bunch movie like twice this week. I just thought it was so funny. And I, <laughs> I feel like with not all movies, but certain movies are very aware of the time period they're in and the heightened nature of that. And I feel like Scream does a really nice job with it. Like, it's weird because when I was, when I was a kid growing up in the nineties, I didn't walk around thinking, Whoa, the nineties are crazy. But then I would see clueless and then things like scream. And I'm like, 
oh yeah, they're actually commenting on some stuff that's going to have a legacy and that's going to have influence later on. And, and, and I don't think many movies are able to do that, especially horror movies. So I'm continuously impressed by that scream with the whole, the whole scream series. Well, I think the scream and clueless and even honestly, honestly, even the Brady bunch movies, we're not afraid to pull their punches. And I think that might be something that's a little lost now. And that's why, again, those movies are kind of just ref- almost refreshing to go back to when they're sometimes downright meanness. <laughs> you know what I mean? In a weird way, it's like, oh, you get like that cruelty itch. You oh, the, know? The, the Brady Bunch movies, the sequel's so mean, but I love it. It's just like endlessly making fun of these beloved characters, but while also still kind of earnestly depicting them. But anyway, that's that'll be for our uh, Brady Bunch of Weenies uh, pod that we have coming soon. I'll be so more than happy ready. to do that for April Fool's Day. A very <laughs> yeah. Brady. Cre- we'll do the 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 Brady's or uh, the Brady's go to the White House that Fox yeah. TV movie yeah. from the early two oh, thousands. It's one I haven't watched, but yeah, well, we'll I'll say it didn't quite work as well. It didn't quite work as well, even though uh, Shelley Duvall and Gary Cole both came back. By the way, Duvall. Oh yeah, they both. Wait, no, no, no. Long. Shelley Long. <laughs> I was like, that'd be that would be. Do they really? Do <laughs> they both like Shelley Duvall. Oh my like god, a, no, that'd be a different <laughs> movie. Very different. That would be movie. a different movie. That would be a different movie. Uh, they really did that. I thought oh, that absolutely. Was just a joke. I remember watching the first ten minutes, and then I went, okay, well, this isn't. Yeah, quite, kids this, didn't come this back. Quite working. This isn't quite working. Wow, jeez. Well, it'd be hard for the kids to come back. I'm sure they're all like nine feet tall now and stuff. Bless their hearts. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, well, you know, Daniel, now that you're here. I would actually agree. I think actually New Nightmare, I think I had that clocked in at number two in my Elm Street rankings. I, I think it's second to the original. And you're 100% right that it was a precursor for, for Scream. I mean, all the meta texts and everything else, 100% right on that. I think we just discussed that in the New Nightmare episode too. If yeah. you had to pick, could you pick your, like your top three favorite Wes Craven movies? Or is that like, hey, give me your three favorite children? It's a little bit like that. I feel like I'm a bit predictable in in that New Nightmare is is not only my favorite of his films, but it's one of my favorite films of all time. It's like mm. tied up there with, <laughs> I love the 2004 Fan of the Opera. So it just kind of oh, is wow. always in my heart. But Wes Craven's New Nightmare, I mean, I just live for that film. Then the original A Nightmare on Elm Street. And then I would probably say... Might be a tie between the original Scream or Scream 4. I mean, I love oh, Scream right. 4 that much. Oh, you know, got to put music of the heart in there too. But no, just kidding. I've like never just, seen it. Hey, you know, that, that got some good reviews, I remember. Wasn't Meryl Streep nominated a for a Golden Globe, I think, for that? I believe. I think I think that might be the case. Yeah, I think she was nominated yeah. for it. Listen, for yeah, a family opera, I though, I got to take up Ridge. Uh, family opera for me is the OG 86 Broadway cast. You know, I'm talking Crawford. I'm talking <laughs> Brightman. I'm talking... <laughs> You know, these are like the musical people. You know, what I mean? Terrence Mann was Terrence Mann in it. I don't remember. Absolutely not. I have yeah. never really gotten into the original Broadway cast because I, I was always like Michael Crawford. He's like the musical of the night. I'm like, oh my Jesus, God. blow your nose, man! Like, what are you doing? I'm I, not I'm, saying Gerard oh, Butler's great. He's kind of terrible. Well, but like, I will also say I'm not saying <laughs> yeah, as long as you and I are the same page. Can say that, yeah. Gerard, but, Gerard Butler's <laughs> not great. It. Yeah, we see. You're right. It, yeah. we, oh, we, but we, he's we still found... my husband though, so I can't deny it. Well, I love look, him. Loved him since that movie, but yeah, he's not great. <laughs> well, they finally nailed it. A hunky phantom. I'm sure that's what they were going for. <laughs> hey, they got the it audience. Worked on me. It worked on me. It worked on me. Many people. Has anyone seen that? The Robert Englund Phantom of the Opera. I never saw it. I thought it was a Freddy sequel. I don't know if it's good. Is it good or? Oh my God, I love it. Well, I'm biased. So you could like throw anything in front of me. I'd be like, yes, watch it. But I love it. I think it's 
haunting. The makeup is very much like Freddy, though. He does. They were like, you know, why don't we just make you look like Freddy? And then he's like, okay. yeah, <laughs> I remember the post or the video box. It was clearly trying to make him look like Freddy. They only showed his top and it was it was something like, oh, yep. Fred, uh, another kind of nightmare. And I, I was really confused as a kid. I'm like, wait, is this just family opera with Freddy? But um, <laughs> yeah. Freddy yeah, of the go. opera. Yeah, Freddy, yeah, yeah, <laughs> Freddy exactly. decided to audition for the Phantom and. Well, got I've got a fun fact about that movie for everybody. You ready for this? This is going to actually tie it all the way back to the Halloweenies podcast, and I promise you this. That movie starred Jill Sherlin as Christine Dye. She was in Cutting Class and, more notably, The Stepfather with Carrie O'Quinn. She's the, the daughter, mm. the stepdaughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was engaged to Cutting Class castmate at this time, Brad Pitt. And apparently, right. and according to the tabloid, who knows? Well, this is not a tabloid podcast, right? But we'll just go with the trivia anyway. Apparently, though, she left Brad Pitt for the director of The Family Opera in 1989 with Robert England. Who is the director and why would we even want to talk about this person? I'll tell you what it is. Is it that full moon guy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, who's the, what's the full moon? Oh, no, the no. The full moon guy? No. It's Dwight H. Little, who directed oh. Halloween for The Return of Michael Myers. Oh, wow. Folks, wow. I have, we've been doing this long enough. I always know how to bring it back. <laughs> I, it, it's like the six degrees of Kevin Bacon, the six degrees of Halloweenies episodes, and we, and we are back. Can you imagine Dwight H. Little being, being like, yeah, she left Brad Pitt for me. <laughs> like, that, like, that's got to be a Hates huge bragging, ego. Right? Huge ego <laughs> boost. For real. Like, for real. One Good of the greatest him. badges of honor of all time. Seriously. Yeah. You know? yeah. All right, well, we've got a lot more to talk about with, with this movie. Uh, but before we can look into the past, we got to look into the present. Because guess what, folks? In a couple months, we will have a new Scream movie, which is pretty wild to think about considering what's gone on over the last 10 years. But let's move on to that category. It's a category that we call Pop Story. Hi, this is Gail Weathers with an exclusive eyewitness account of this amazing breaking story. All right. Well, we had, we had a great episode that I was not on, yet was still great. And it was about the trailer for Scream 5, a.k.a. 5 Cream. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. We, we, we talked about that for a nice hour, so please go back and listen to that episode. We do a deep dive on, on what was seen and, and maybe more importantly, what was left out. In addition, there was another video that was dropped just a couple of days ago as of this recording with some more cast and crew interviews kind of interwo- interwoven with the, the trailer that we saw. And, you know, it kind of gives up the whole people saying, oh, this one. Now, this one is a crazy entry. And, and people saying, oh, I was actually quite shocked by what happens in this. It's rhetoric that we've, we've come to cynically ex- expect over the last century of watching, you know, publicity tours. Uh, but in addition to all that, we received a couple new posters. One is of, you know, a knife in the, in the foreground and a reflection of Sydney, ghost face in the background. Kind of beautiful looking posters, actually. And then another one just of Ghostface in, in like a mid-swoop. Not like a basketball shooting motion, which would be pretty funny, actually. But him actually <laughs> like, you know, with a knife trying to probably kill somebody. Vanderbilt's uh, already on that. Vanderbilt, if you're listening, you got to make basketball, <laughs> like headband, goggles, Ghostface, <laughs> goggles. please. However, we did receive another somewhat vague, I'll say excru- excruciatingly vague, official synopsis. So here we go. 25 years after a streak of brutal murders shocked the quiet town of Woodsboro, a new killer has donned the ghost face mask and begins targeting a group of teenagers to resurrect secrets from the town's deadly past. Hmm. How about this? I will say this though. Is it possible 
that this is telling us that there is only going to be one killer in this movie. I mean, that would be a twist for sure. I mean, mm-hmm. I it's it's funny because I felt like with all the new Ghostbusters footage coming out, that's oh my ruining. God. I, you know, Dan, sorry, I just got the Google alert, Dan. Another clip from Ghostbusters Afterlife which just <laughs> dropped. Which is a movie I'm excited about. And it's, it, you know, be, I mean, I'm going to sound like such an asshole using this term, but, you know, right, being in, in horror media, I guess. Like, I do feel some obligation to keep up on this stuff because we talk about it on a podcast every week. But I, I really, I don't, I don't like to find that out. And I will say for the Scream movies, it feels like they're being intentionally vague. And yes. I agree with you that usually it's like, okay, the, oh, this is the best one. It's so surprising. I do agree that that could be PR speak a lot of the time. However, I'm not saying Scream is a perfect series, but even with Scream 3, all of those movies were doing something kind of different for the, when we've talked, we talked about it in the last section already. So uh, maybe I'm being foolishly optimistic, but I do hold out hope that they're going to play it really close to the chest and not only not reveal anything about the killers, but not, maybe not even reveal what this movie is commenting on or what, its whole game is. And that's what I'm hoping because I really don't, I, I remember going to scream Two when I was a kid and there was such mystery surrounding it and such mystery surrounding who the killer was. I knew nothing about it other than it took place on a college campus. And it was like one of the best movie watching experiences in my life. So I'm really hoping we yeah. get that with this one. So maybe I've been burned in the past, but I don't know. That's my, like my assessment and, and hope for, for all of this. Like, so I might want to, the less they say, the more I will believe the hype. I'll say that. Well, and I was trying to think of scream four when that came out, were there like copious amounts of trailers and did you guys, because I, I, because I didn't watch it then, but you did. Did you feel like you had already seen the movie or you could already call the beats? You already kind of thought you knew who it was or something. I think so. I don't, came but, out. but I also I don't, don't remember. Yeah. yeah it's I still in that blessed period where they were not saying, where they were not dropping full scenes from movies online like they do now, yeah. which is just very strange to me. I mean, I was, We'll talk about this later, but I was still very stunned at the reveals, especially near the end of the movie. I'll put it that way. Nothing, none of that was spoiled for me. I remember thinking, oh, I wonder if Gail is going to die. That was one of the things in the trailer. It seemed like that was going to be an inevitable thing yeah. uh, with her being one-on-one with him and, and, uh, or, that, or her. Who knows? But uh, I'm not sure. But where do you – DeAndre, where do you stand right now with the Scream series? Because obviously you love Scream 4. What's your anticipation level like right now for you with Scream with uh, Five Cream, as we affectionately call it? I'm uh, really looking forward to seeing what they do because everything has been so relevant. It's been very reflective of what's happening in cinema, but especially the horror genre at the time. And and like Scream Four was and basically predicting what would happen because like watching Scream Four now, the quality of the film and the themes, I'm like this could have you know, been made this year because it's still so relevant, even more so relevant with, with how the internet has grown um, and the extent that people will go to for fame. And uh, I, 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 so I keep thinking my initial thought was like, is this, I know in the, in the, in the movie or the trailer rather, she's Sydney Prescott. I wasn't sure if they were going to take like a new nightmare route initially. And they were going to be like, now Ghostface is going after like, Nev Campbell and everybody like that, or Mm. if it was going to be something like, you know, they go to a convention or maybe there's a stab convention because conventions are so big. Now I'm trying to understand. And, and, and I keep thinking about what main themes are they going to bring about with, you know, horror, what are they going to bring into this? That's pretty relevant today. 
because things have changed. Horror is, in my humble opinion, a lot more out there, a lot more in the mainstream than it has been. And with the internet and people connecting, the community is a lot more interconnected. I'm curious about that. Um, I know that when Wes had created Scream 4, he wanted to kind of, he didn't want it to be a bookend to the Scream series. Mm -hmm. He wanted it to be kind of the beginning of something new, like a new trilogy in a way. And I know that some interviews that have come out about Scream 5 thus far have said, you know, it's not like a sequel. It's kind of different. So I'm wondering if it's kind of feeding into that whole trilogy aspect that Wes had envisioned. If it's something along those lines, maybe a, a new branch. I'm I'm very curious as to where this is going to go. I love the tagline that it's always somebody you know. And uh, I just... I'm 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 excited about it, but I, I I hope that they do bring in those familiar aspects of okay, this is where you know fandom is right now. This is how people look at movies right now. This is how it relates to Scream because Scream always comments on that, and and I'm hoping that they do that. I I don't want to be disappointed, and I don't think I would be if they really didn't delve into it. But I think with the way that the genre has gone thus far, I think that it would be a huge miss if they didn't incorporate some of the more um, relevant practices, like more so the podcast, more so, you know, YouTube. I, I just, and they're, they're parts of the story. They're not necessarily a big part of it. I'm not sure where it's going to go. Um, I don't want it to be too similar to the other movies and I don't think it's giving away too much, but I, I'm very curious and very excited and just, just hopeful as to, uh, what they're going to bring into this movie. Yeah. The radio silence fellows have been very adamant about how they, they, they did not want to give away anything in their trailer and they were very worried about that especially around the time the halloween kills trailer had dropped they were like well we gotta be really careful with what we show here we don't want to give away anything and mm -hmm. they were afraid that even like showing one or two moments would give away major beats and even after the trailer dropped they did say that that's just the tip of the iceberg which i appreciate a thousand percent you know and, and you were talking about like what this movie could be about and it, like scream obviously is about horror slasher movies scream 2 is about horror sequels scream 3 is about the horror trilogy scream 4 is about you know reboots and remakes right along with obviously yeah. celebrity culture and everything else but i i feel like scream 4 i'll say this i feel like scream 5 is giving me scream 4 vibes like I, i'm just trying to yeah, figure out what too. this is going to be about if it's not going to be about reboots and 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 remakes you know well yeah. something that i kind of I like that, you know, like we, what you just said, Justin, about how they were like, this is just the tip of the iceberg. They're not really showing us, they're showing us, you know, general scream stuff. You know, you see Ghostface, you see the cast, you know, but mm -hmm. like they're not really going into the nitty gritty. And hopefully there's a lot left to be, you know, found out about. But I will say something that I just thought about was in the trailer, there are a lot of scenes that look like they are revisiting the original house, like the party house from the first movie, right? Was that Stu's house? And yeah. they did that whole thing recently, that whole, like, spend the night at the house and Dewey's, like, you know, hosting you there and stuff. And I wonder mm. if they're going to do this thing where... And that's why we kind of talked on the the trailer episode too about like maybe it will end up going meta, but I don't know if they because I had that same thought, Deandra. But I I don't think maybe they're gonna do like even in Scream Four, you can see like you know they're decorating for Halloween, the Scream masks are on all the posts and everything, and like you were saying, Deandra, about how 
horror is kind of more in the in the the consciousness of everybody now, and it's kind of becoming a bigger thing. I feel like right now, or we just have more access to it. It's more popular. Maybe maybe that house is like now like a haunted attraction that people go to in Woodsboro and Woodsboro's kind of been just kind yeah. of become mm-hmm. that kind of town where it's all about the murders that happen there and and they can't get a, they can't escape it. And maybe they're going to address that aspect of like what, how like true crime is kind of like popularized serial killers and killings and things to the point where now like these towns embrace it and they make it like mm-hmm. the reason you should come visit this town kind of thing. But yeah, I still don't know what the hell's going to happen in this movie though, but it does give me scream four vibes to some extent, but I think they might just, that that's only because they can show us only so much. And so that's all we're yeah. kind of left with right now, but uh, we'll see. Well, I will say that we're going to find out all the answers to these questions on January 14th, 2022, when five cream, AKA scream five, uh, AKA cream comes out in theaters. Can't wait. Can't wait. And again, speaking of cream, though, I'm sure you guys have heard and probably talked about it at some point about the UK company Serial Killer launching the Scream cereal in time for the movie. And it's only going to be available through them online. And it's like strawberries and cream and the box is supposed to talk and like it it turns the milk, I think, like red. I'm not sure, but I didn't know about that would make for an interesting snack. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. It would be funny though yeah. if the box says things like "I'm gonna gut you like a fucking pig" or something like that, and, like, <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah. kids are like, "Oh, but mommy, daddy." What if it? What if it's Ghostface, but like with a British voice? He was like, "Oh, I'm gonna gut you oh, like a fucking pig." And I got you like a pig. What's your favorite cereal? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you like porridge or cereal? <laughs> yeah. Watch, watch us. Who is the original Count Chocula? Watch us, Sydney. Um, <laughs> So keep an eye out for that cereal and in an effort not to offend any more of our, our UK listeners. I'm mostly British, everyone, if that helps uh, uh, heritage wise. I'm, I'm sorry. Sorry. I, you know what? Yeah, it doesn't help. I say it doesn't help. <laughs> but it only makes it worse. <laughs> I'm right, well, my own. We've got to move on to our next section. It's time to take a trip down to the old Woodsboro police station. Okay, everybody listen up. Let me just say... Uh, the killing of these these teenagers has been tragic, but uh, hey, you know, shit happens. Well, a lot of people like to do this in real life, and we're going to do the same thing. We're going to spend a lot of time at the Woodsboro Police Station, in which we discuss the the history behind this movie, which, as you can guess, and as I alluded to strongly at the beginning, is quite complicated, as well as the crew behind the scenes. So a little groundwork before I open up to the the other co-hosts here, in the summer of 2008, the Weinstein Company, that's right, the Weinstein Company, said it's time for another Scream movie. Despite having neither Wes Craven or Kevin Williamson agreeing <laughs> to take part at that moment in time, uh, a year and a half later, Kevin Williamson said, I'm back. A couple months after that, Wes Craven said, so am I. And then Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, and David Arquette also said, we're with you too. And then they made Scream 4, and there were no bumps in the road, and the movie came out, and everybody was happy. Just no, kidding. No, no. Just kidding. Let's talk about where horror was when this movie came out in 2011, because this is in a very strange area. DeAndre, I know you said where horror is now. It's, it's more mainstream in a lot of ways than ever, or at least there are a lot more horror movies being talked about 
throughout social media than there ever were, especially 10 years ago. There was 10 years ago. Uh, so in 2011, here were like basically the popular movies that came out. Uh, Cabin in the Woods, You're Next, Final Destination 5, which the series does get name-checked here, uh, Paranormal Activity 3, Grave Encounters, a uh, Randall Colburn, Losers Club favorite, mm-hmm. and The Innkeepers. Now, I would say at least two of these movies owe a lot to... Hell, you can even say three of these movies owe a lot to the existence of Scream, right? So we're still kind of in the throes of the aftermath of Scream with tongue-in-cheek, meta stuff going on with with Cabin in the Woods. Your Next has a kind of brutal streak to it. Um, obviously, the Final Destination series was birthed out of the popularity of the Scream series. But then you've got, which is kind of tied with Your Next, you got The Innkeepers. You know, the Adam Weingard, Ty West, mumble, gore movement that's kind of still going on. Uh, you still have a little bit of the found footage horror with Paranormal Activity 3 and Grave Encounters. So Scream 4 coming out this time, I think a reason it wasn't a huge hit is that there wasn't really a big demand for it at the time, which is why I was so curious that they decided to make this movie. Uh, Dan, you kind of already talked about your experience about the excitement that you had going into this movie, but... Uh, like Mac, I mean, for God's sake, you didn't see this. You actually put seeing this movie off for for a decade. So, like, where, do you remember where your mind was at in terms of horror around this time? I mean, I was really. I when you said that your next is almost ten years old, I kind of cringed. But uh, <laughs> I, I, I was watching. I mean, I was very much watching those films. Uh, I remember Innkeepers seeing that in the theaters. So I don't know why I didn't go see Scream, but I think. I think from everything that I saw initially, I think that I was, I was a little turned off because I just felt like I didn't like the young, the new young cast that just didn't feel lived in. And, and part of me, it laughs at that because I don't believe that any of those people in scream one are the age they're supposed to be in that movie. (laughs) Uh, But, but for some reason I was like, Oh, an age appropriate, like young cast in this, like, "Ah, I'm not interested in watching these people deal with uh, Ghostface, But, um, but I don't know, but I was definitely watching all that other stuff. So I don't know why I skipped out on, on seeing Scream. Uh, it's just very strange. Dan, what about you? Because, I mean, obviously, we all went to go see it. I, guess, I think it was opening night, because I don't know if we... I think, I think it was a normal time. It wasn't a midnight movie. I think we just saw it a normal time. But where, where was your head at? Were you more like, okay, well, everybody's going to go do this on Friday, so I'm going to go? Or were you really jazzed about going to see it? I mean, I was excited. I, I don't think I had the same hype around it as I did with Scream 2 or even Scream 3. I think, well, because when did Scream 3 come out? I'm trying to think time, like just timeline wise. So 2000, I mean, this is a, that's the biggest gap at this point then between a Scream movie, right? I think. Oh yeah, definitely. So, I mean, I, I think part of it has to do with that. I think part of it had to do with just being, I mean, gosh, until, uh, I was like 26, 27 then. And you know, just being an adult, an adult in the city and not that I wasn't into horror, but I feel like even, I don't know if, if y'all feel this way, I feel like my horror interest has increased even just in the past five years. And part of that has to do with doing the podcast. Right. But I, I feel like maybe I wasn't as horror obsessed around that time. I still always loved horror movies, but I, I feel like I wasn't steeped in it like I am now. So I, I don't know if it had as much, I mean, I think specifically with the Scream series, it had just been such a long time and a lot of stuff had happened and I was doing other things in my life. And then part of it just has to deal with, like you said, it was a weird time for horror. It wasn't like it was being talked about 24 seven. We didn't have a podcast about it. We weren't on social media talking all the time about it. And I, I don't know. I'm hesitant to say that 
I never like it when like people are like, oh, like I got picked on for liking horror when I was younger and it wasn't cool or or whatever else, because I think that creates this self-pitying narrative that I don't really like to subscribe to. That being said, horror was definitely not all the rage, you know, both growing up and even at that time with around Cabin in the Woods and whatever else. Like like Dandre was saying about the conventions and all that, none of that was going on at the level as it is now. So I just think it wasn't in the air as much. So it's not to say I wasn't excited, but I don't don't think I was as excited to see it as I probably would have been for, oh, I don't know, like no country for old men as as pretentious as that sounds, but for real, like, yeah. So that's, I think that's where my head was at with it. DeAndre, what about you? I mean, were you really into the the horror scene of, you know, 2010, 2011 at that time? Or were you still kind of looking back into the eighties and and nineties and whatnot? So around that particular time, I remember um, I got on Facebook and started really reaching out to horror people in like the end of 20, no, I'm not 20, 2009. And so at this point, I was really deep into Facebook, especially talking to other horror fans being like, do you guys like Nancy Thompson? And during this time, Um, in 2011 was when I went to my first horror convention Mm. in Indianapolis, which was days of the dead. So I was like super excited about everything horror. I wanted to consume absolutely everything because I already had my nightmare chops, been through all of that, still deep into that, but I wanted to expand beyond that. And given that this was a Wes Craven film, I was so excited about it. And I had already really loved Scream. And I was just just kind of jazzed about everything horror. I was like, yes, I'm kind of a new fan in a way. Um, even though it's been a couple of years, I'm really deep into it online with people. Uh, I, I just really want to go see this. I want to see it. The Nightmare remake had come out the year before. I went to see that as soon as I possibly could. Like I was trying to consume so much horror. I was trying to get into the theaters to see it because I was so excited about it. And and given that this was one of those horror franchises that was so iconic, I just couldn't wait to get in to see it. And especially with somebody who was like the first fan I'd met in person of anything horror. It was just something that I was, I I was just on edge to get into the theater for it. So yeah, everything, everything horror I was consuming as soon as possible. Had you seen any of the earlier movies in theaters, whether it was through a, like a re-release somewhere, or was this the first screen movie that you saw in theaters? It was the first Scream movie that I saw in theaters. And I think that makes a huge oh, difference, right? I think that makes a huge difference. I mean, I remember we talked about this in earlier episodes, but my coloring of like Halloween, the curse of Michael Myers is probably forever changed because that was the first Halloween movie I got to see in theaters. And it was a totally fresh experience. You know, I hadn't been watching on VHS for five years or for two or three years, whatever it was. And I, I think that a whole new generation of people who are maybe too young to see those first three screen movies in theaters to see something like that on the big screen with a huge crowd to make all the difference in the world. And, and that could be the yeah. positive experience of going to see a movie in theaters. Because I've very much become this curmudgeon oh, you know, I shouldn't even use the deep voice because it's just a fact. People these days, I swear to God, are just like the worst in movie theaters. Like you can't win anymore. It, it, except for the Music Box Theater, which I love going to. But if you get in with the right crowd, it can be the, the greatest experience. And, you know, I think that's what can happen with uh, even... Uh, something like a Scream 4, a Curse of Michael Myers, a, a Jason Goes to Hell. You know what I mean? As Vanderbilt will yeah. attest to. It was like I was absolutely, it was the, it was one of those series that I'd been so entrenched in. And even though the yeah. Nightmare remake came out, it still wasn't 
you know, Robert, Heather, mm. anything like that. I had not had the the opportunity to see that for the first time in theaters. Like a lot of the other fans that I knew who were older than I was at the time had seen these. So that was that first opportunity for me to see one of those franchises that I loved, you know, fresh. Yep. There I was in the seats, not having seen it already, not having watched it many, many times. I think I did see nightmare on the big screen, maybe the year before I, I I think I drove three hours to go somewhere to see it on the big screen, but of course I'd watched it on like multiple TVs by then, but this was so fresh. And I know that Wes had made comments about the very opening for scream and, and just creating scream Four was that you had to balance kind of these younger fans who were just getting into horror or haven't really been that familiar with it didn't really get to see it on the screen you know mm -hmm. 10 years before and then having these fans who did get to see it who have been watching it for a decade who have been watching horror for for years and you had to he had to find that delicate balance between new fans and you know fans that have been around for a while in order to be able to to kind of find that soft spot which i think he did a good job and i know that they really pushed that into the beginning of it with the multiple like fake openings and they had all these right. names and faces that younger audiences would remember Definitely. before being introduced to the classic cast even though like younger fans like myself knew like nev campbell courtney cox david arquette all that stuff it was just a nice tie-in and merging of kind of the modern stuff with that universe that I become used to on a small DVD player or on, on like AMC fear fest or something like that back in the day. AMC fear fest, despite everything is still going strong. <laughs> it's, it's incredible. Yeah. It's competing I mean, with streaming services. And it's still, that was the only way to watch on, yeah. the Halloween sequels back in the day. Unless you definitely Halloween two, every Halloween two and Halloween were always on AMC. All right. Well, We've talked about where horror was at the time. So let's talk about the horrific uh, pre-production and production of <laughs> Scray 4M, as I've got to keep remembering to call it. In typical fashion, there were indeed bumps in the road. You know, we talked about in our Scream 3 episode, the backlash that surrounded Scream 3 because of, uh, of Kevin Williamson not being involved and, and bringing in Aaron Kruger, bringing him to the fold. So when it was announced that Kevin Williamson was going to be coming back to write Scream 4, there was a lot of anticipation for it for the first time in a long time uh, because, you know, his involvement in the, in the franchise for in over 10 years was a huge deal. Now, while things worked out better than they did for Scream 3 in that regard, Wes Craven even says that set, even though like 70% of the movie is Kevin Williamson, which does leave about 30% to somebody else. And you guessed it. Uh, that would go to mostly that 30% goes to uh, Scream 3's sole screenwriter. Scream writer, I should call him. Aaron Kruger. Uh, mm. So it's a complicated history once again. Let's let Mr. Williamson himself explain. In an interview published with Entertainment Weekly, only about a week before Scream 4, a.k.a. Uh, Scray 4M, came out, the screenwriter had this to say about studio head Bob Weinstein and and those pesky vampire diaries, a CW show that he uh, helped make, uh, create, and which ran for years and years on the CW. Williamson said, hold your breath, everybody, while I read this long-ass excerpt, because I had, to, I had to copy and paste this whole thing. I had to, I had to do it, folks. Yeah. Uh, I got in a big fight with Bob. God love him. I've worked with the man for 16 years out of my 16-year career. We get in some fights. We're a very dysfunctional family over there at the Weinstein Company. Wow. Oh, my God. 
Jeez. Talk about uh, uh, hitching your wagon or a understatement. <laughs> pulling behind, pulling aside the curtain for that one. Uh, we got into a massive fight creatively, and we hugged it out, and then we moved on. I felt strongly about this, and he felt strongly about that. Then I did this, and that wasn't right. Everyone was second guessing everything because everyone wanted it to be so perfect. That's exactly what happened. The one thing that Bob and I connect on very basically, why we've worked very successfully together for 16 years, is we're passionate. And no one is more passionate than Bob Weinstein. And it is that passion that allows you to make a movie where he will believe in you and trust in you. And it's also that passion that can cause fights and cause struggle. For 16 years, he's kept me gainfully employed. I love him. Yes, we got into a fight. But then the big clincher came. Contractually, I had signed on to do The Vampire Diaries. You know the little thing called first and second position? I was in first position to do Vampire Diaries and second position to do Scream 4. So guess what? It was a contractual thing. Warner Brothers called up and they said, Dude, where are you? You have a show that's on the air. Where are you? I did double duty as much as I could, but The Vampire Diaries was also very important to me. So then Williamson went on to... He, he wished, he wished the, the cast and crew all the best. And did not seem to have any hard feelings about the the ordeal overall. It really does sound like this. This really did come down to he actually he absolutely had obligations with the CW, aka Warner Brothers, who was running the Vampire Diaries show. And about the same topic, around the same time, Wes Craven spoke with a little site called Bloody Disgusting. Ever heard of it? Huh? Mm, and he yeah. said, uh, you know, Aaron Kruger came in and did a lot of very interesting work, but it's very much about Kevin Williamson's script. Uh, there was stuff added during rewrites, the action of certain other things that were changed because of locations and things like that. So, you know, it's still Kevin. Uh, some other issues that, that, that did plague the production, though. Lauren Graham of Gilmore Girls fame, especially around this time. She was all set to play Jill's mom in this movie, but really? left due to, quote-unquote, date conflict and script changes. Which makes total sense because... Mary McDonald, who is a great actor, she was yeah. she she really broke through uh, Dances with Wolves, you know, Best Picture winner, tremendous as the president on Battlestar Galactica. Mm-hmm. I mean, she has maybe a grand total of two minutes of screen time in this movie. Yeah, it's very strange. When she popped up again watching it, I thought, oh god, I don't remember Mary McDonald being in this. Yeah, and, she's good, but it's too. because was... she's only in like a heartbeat of it, and uh, which is uh, th- I guarantee she had a bigger role that got cut, and that's why Lauren Graham walked. I mean, that's the reasoning. It's it's yeah. not yeah. just you know commitments, but it's also the rewrites. Maybe didn't give her a lot of room, and obviously a very underused actor for that role. You know, I was surprised she was dispatched as fast as she was. I mean, although hey, the Scream series does have a history of like casting big name people and <laughs> killing them sometimes yeah. before the credits even begin. Henry Winkler, for example. <laughs> yeah. But another major change. And we'll get. There's a lot of deleted scenes, by the way, that are available online. We'll get to that in a second. But other uh, major changes from earlier drafts, specifically, is the adding in of the hospital scene finale. Uh, the movie was originally supposed to end at the house with Jill, Jill, what the hell? With Jill, <laughs> my South Carolina, my, my brief life in North Carolina is coming back, uh, with Jill uh, being wheeled away, no one knowing if Sydney survived, and, and that was how they were going to kind of set up well, future entries. Do you think that that was absolutely the Williamson ending? Absolutely. The Kruger stuff was the hospital stuff? 
It's funny you say Kruger. My mind I'm know, goes yeah. to Freddy, even <laughs> though once again it is absolutely Aaron Kruger. Yeah, Aaron Kruger Thank you, Wes Craven. <laughs> yeah, I, I do, and because I, I think, and DeAndre, you alluded to earlier with the, the there was a plan to make a trilogy of movies, and I think that the launching point would have been having Jill be involved in some way and kind of having it go through a different route, you know, not just having it be a new ghost face every every time. Although now that I say that out loud, famous last words, because I'm sure they, once again, they had the same idea with Tommy after Friday, the final chapter, with Jamie after Halloween 4. So who knows if that would have actually happened. But I think that would have been, because we keep saying like, well, what what else can you do with Scream if you don't pivot in a way like that? Like that's a big pivot where yeah. the next two movies would follow you know that she's the killer or maybe she becomes the 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 victim in the next one or whatever it is but that is that would have been a huge change and direction for the franchise that wouldn't have felt like any of the first you know three or four movies so i feel like that would have kind of been an interesting take had they continued with that yeah uh, I, I mean i still i actually still like the finale for reasons we'll get into but I wish they had the nerve to just end it with those those flashing cameras on her and not knowing if Sydney was alive or dead. I, I just think that would have been right. such a real, wow, you really went there with that. Yeah. Anyway, well, I digress. I digress. Ultimately, Scream 4, despite all these issues, was released on April 15th, 2011, over 10 years ago. Good God. With a $40 million budget that equaled that of Scream 3. And was again more than the first two entries combined. It made less than that domestically at only thirty-eight million dollars. Really, fifty-one million dollars less than Scream Three made. And this is with inflation. You know, ten years later, so it was not a big box office success. And at that point, you know, immediate sequels were kind of on the back burner again. There was just it was a weird time for a Scream movie to come out. And there was just no demand for the continuation at that point. In legitimately sad news, this also marks the final film of Wes Craven's career. Because he would he passed away a few years later in 2015 uh, at the age of 76. And you know to go out on, though. I mean, I, better looking that back, than like, yeah. You know, it's funny because in my, in my memory, this wasn't his last movie. And it was, oh God, what's it called? Before I... They? Red Eye? Girl in the <laughs> Photographer? Photograph, something like that. No, before I wake, or whatever it's called. Wow, God. Oh, what the hell is that movie called? Oh, Cursed. Yeah. No, no, it's Cursed. it's it's really it's not good. And and the only reason I can't think of it is because we're actually talking about it, and I've never said the name of it out loud. People at home are screaming at me right now. Hey, oh, I remember enough. watching it when it when it came out because I'm like, this is what's this last movie? I can't remember. My soul to take. My soul to take. I got the whole rhyme right. My soul to take. I always thought that that was his last movie, but it was not. Thank God. Uh, because Scream 4, especially if you go on good old social media, people s- tend to agree with Deandra more often than not in terms of this being like one of their favorite entries. And, and in some cases, it's some people's favorite sequel. And that's that's a good thing to be, to, to be able to go out on is that, you know, his last movie wasn't just some... You know, straight to video or some $5 million grossing movie. Granted, it didn't do great, but the legacy of Scream 4 is still strong. And the fact that it, his last movie was part of a series that, that really did change the genre uh, seems quite appropriate, you know, in terms of some other people who don't always go out 
attached to something as personal as the Scream franchise would be for him. Before we get into like the negatives, Dandre, anything else you'd like to say about specifically Wes Craven before we move on to more of the uh, the film the filmmaking itself? Jeez, one of my greatest regrets in life is not being able to have the opportunity to meet him and tell him how much his work impacted me. I remember right after he passed away in uh, that September, there was horror hound held like the giant a nightmare on elm street reunion in indianapolis and like so many people were there and apparently wes was supposed to be at that convention it Mm. was going to be a surprise um but he passed away unexpectedly so it ended up just being a really nice and memoriam to him everybody talking about it fans of his getting together and kind of mourning and and celebrating and remembering him it, it was so nice to be at that convention of course i wish he didn't pass so i could meet him and he could still be around to you know make magic happen cuz his tweets and his photographs were always so funny he always had the best t-shirts and mm. i love to see what he would say about things. And that was just like, I remember sitting on my bed when people were sending me stuff and just being in utter shock because I, I did not believe it. And then I Googled it and there it was. And it was just, it's just one of those things that I, I can't believe that. And, and nobody else really knew it. Cause he just kind of, he was fairly private. I don't want to say suffered in silence because that sounds terrible, but yeah, yeah. He just didn't really talk about it. And so it was so surprising to a lot of people and, uh, he's, he's greatly missed, but, uh, I hope, and it seems like they're going to do him justice for five cream. So we'll see. Well, I think that was a beautiful thing about his legacy also is the fact that, you know, God, my Nakawa these days, you just never know, but it seemed like the, the cast and crews that he worked with really revered him and really loved him a lot and, and yeah. that they were very protective over them. I mean, Nev Campbell and company were, were very hesitant to do this because they did not want to betray like the, the vision of Wes Craven. You know, they were very uh, resistant to do it, but like I said, they were really reassured by the radio silence gang that they were going to do right by, by Wes. And as a matter of fact, there was a recent still of, of Sydney from the new movie in the background, you see a hat hanging and yeah. cream colored yeah. hat that Wes Craven used to wear a lot. And I thought that was, I'm getting a little yeah. choked up thinking about, it, but I thought that was a very nice little tribute there. And I'm sure there'll be a lot of that throughout the movie too. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But Wes Craven, I mean, we, we, we talked about this a lot, I think way back in the early days of this podcast for a Nightmare on Elm Street series that, you know, he had a very hit or miss filmography, especially people that were kind of just in the genre and kind of felt pigeonholed at a certain point were for the eighties and nineties. But I mean, you can't deny the fact that whether you like them or not, like Last House on the Left, Nightmare on Elm Street, and Scream changed horror for like the decades that would follow each of those movies. You know what I mean? And he, and mm-hmm. he's even got, I mean, outside of that, and Grant, he, he's got some dogs in his filmography like a lot of people do. But, sure. you know, you have, yeah, not my favorite, but I, I do think it's a, a sort of minor important horror movie like People Under the Stairs. Um, I like Serpent and the Rainbow a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, even something like Music of the Heart, obviously not a horror movie, but still pretty respectable. And so, yeah, I feel like he, what I like about him looking at his filmography compared to, you know, even someone like Toby Hooper, whoever, who, who had a good streak and then just never bounced back from it. I feel like Wes Craven's career, it might dip a little bit, but he like always kind of consistently came back with something good, which I think is pretty rare for, for horror directors, especially as they age. I think it's hard for filmmakers in general to just have 
make a good movie and then make and still be making good movies, you know, 25 years later. Mm-hmm, and in mm-hmm. this case, really, if you land positively on stream four, almost 40 years later, I think it's very difficult to do that. And something like New Nightmare, for instance, I mean, God, he was, let's see how old he was when he did that. I mean, he was, he was in his 50s when he did that. And that's, and I love that movie also. And, and even if you don't like it, you can't deny how different that was. I mean, the movie still feels kind of different even now. And to see yeah. a guy in his 50s refusing to rest on his laurels and really go for it and write something personal and different yeah. and then come back with Scream a few years later, I'm kind of incredible at that late in the game. I can't think of many other horror directors who have done that. Yeah, I mean, rest in peace, Wes Craven. Uh, again, it's a, a rather fascinating filmography. If you just look at it from start to start to finish, there's no like really great transition to this next part of this category. But uh, I mean, some of the criticism levied at the movie really it's more to do with the look of the movie. Uh, and it's funny because the cinematographer who who is Peter Deming, he returns again. He he was cinematographer for the previous three entries, but. A constant knock against this entry is, I remember, I guess it was a pretty good way of reading it, was somebody said that it looked like somebody had smeared Vaseline over the lens or something. That was kind of harsh in a way. But the movie does have this really strange, almost like muted yellowish look to it. I feel like they were trying to go for almost like a Roger Deakins-y uh, Prisoners look, even though I think this came out before Prisoners. And a lot of the lighting is very strange. I remember there's a there's a hospital scene when Rebecca and Sydney, when Sydney's about to fire Rebecca, and it looks like the corners of the screen are almost kind of blacked out in a way, where there's like this hyper focus. Am I just a film snob, or does anybody else notice these things when they came to this movie in terms of the look of it, Mac? I, I really I, didn't. I don't know. I, I didn't, didn't notice the lens or anything weird no. about the cinematography when I watched it. It just seemed very crisp, and maybe it was just the quality of the film at the time, but I, I don't know. I didn't notice any of the other darkening around it. I mean, I think it looks kind of like other horror movies that came out at the time, I guess, which is maybe why it doesn't bother me. Something like Scream, because it is so much commenting on the on the time. Yeah, I don't, I, I actually thought it looked barely in line with the other movies. I, I didn't I didn't even know that yeah. was a, a thing. Yeah, I mean, I kind of get that criticism. I, uh, I there is a strange, almost unintentionally too dark at times. Like there's something. I mean, there's, we we watched a lot of dark movies, but they're lit really well. But there were some lighting things going on in this movie that I feel didn't always do the scene justice. I'll say that. But if I'm if I'm alone in that corner, then we can definitely move on. I mean, I'm not gonna. Not gonna uh, we'll get Cameron Deschanel over here. Huh? Yeah, a bunch of Peter Deming stands over here. Apparently, I mean, I had to address it because I feel like I'm not alone in that regard. Though there's some there's something going on there in it, terms of the mm-hmm. look of the movie. It's a little different. It would it would be funny if we got into some huge horrible fight over really specific cinematographers oh it's like no it's <laughs> like, like wow a, you know they were ha- they seem to be having a really good rapport over that first hour but boy when peter Deming got brought up <laughs> yeah wow, uh, watch out <laughs> the glove the finger knives came out we'll say that the finger it's, knives it's, came out it's like look he's no daniel pearl okay <laughs> like, <just laughs> really specific yeah it's like more it, daniel it, pearl the, the remake of two texas chainsaw massacre yeah <laughs> Well, we're yeah. talking about a lot of things that were the look of the movie, but let's talk about some scenes that we didn't get to look at because here's some deleted scenes. Once again, you can find all these on, on YouTube. They're at the, the ready. Some notable ones include early on, Dewey asks if Gail's going to go to Sydney's book signing. You can tell there's a little bit of tension there. Gail's a little you know, jealous of Sydney's ongoing success. We, we do see the crime scene of the, uh, the pre-credit murders and Marnie's hanging from a ceiling fan. 
in that scene. I don't think we see this in the movie, but we do see the bust of Henry Winkler's character from the first movie, Principal Henry Hembry. We see mm-hmm. his statue bust. It's like a tribute at the school. There's a little bit more with Jill's mom after Olivia's death, maybe a grand total of 45 seconds. So we do have 45 more seconds. <laughs> the great Mary McDonald as Jill's mom. Scene about Dewey talking a little bit about Tatum to Judy. Uh, talking about how one of the deaths... I forgot the character. Uh, Amy Teagarden's character, how she dies in the garage, much like Tatum died in the garage. I was going to uh, say, I'm surprised they left out that, you know, her hanging from the ceiling fan, because it would have been very much like Drew Barrymore's character, you know, hanging from the tree. Yeah. And if they were trying to, because they were really doing the mirroring of the, and the beat, the story beats, they even say that, you know, like it all ends up at the party at the end of the house. Oh, and they talk and, about that uh, in those deleted scenes uh, about how this exactly. is kind of a remake. And maybe they, they yes. wanted to delete some of that mm-hmm. because the idea of the remake and reboot really gets nailed down by, you know, the horror club in this movie. It, maybe it's one beat too many, you know. That aftermath scene is something that Wes wanted to keep in and he fought Weinstein on it. And Weinstein was like, I don't, I, don't, I guess I, I don't see the relevance of it. And Wes was like, look, I know you have the final call, but this is a really important scene. It, it call it calls back to the like first movie. It, it has all these remake elements. It's it's pretty personal, um, but that's why it got cut. And I think it's still a beautiful scene. I still think it should have been in the movie. But yeah, that was Weinstein's call. It makes sense to have it because you're also going to you also spend more time with the Anthony Anderson and the Brody characters. You're still trying to build up this new cast a little bit, so it's a little more impactful when they go yeah. away too. Yeah, because I I do think some of the I mean, and I know we'll get into the whole section later, but I do mm-hmm. think some of the it's a big cast for this movie, like screen movies tend to be, and I do think some of those supporting characters, I I just I can't blame it solely on performance or I think I just feel like we don't get enough time with them to really make the the thing impactful. I agree. I agree. There's also a big hospital scene between Trevor and Jill when Jill's in the hospital after she gets her arm cut. That kind of builds up. What you think is Jill's suspicion about Trevor, even though obviously we know Jill's behind everything, uh, really amps up the whole Trevor's the new Billy in terms of is he or is he not the killer. Uh, there's actually an alternate Rebecca death, Rebecca played by Alison Brie. So you see her running. She's in the parking garage, just like the movie. And when she gets close to her car, the car alarm goes off. Well, instead of going and hiding in the car for a minute, she just immediately turns around and heads back for the, the exit door. And the handle breaks off, and she's stabbed like she is in the movie. They, they delete the entire, she's in the car and goes faces fucking with her section. Another big part is an alternate hospital scene. Because, you know, in the movie, Gail asks Dewey how Jill would know that she got stabbed in the shoulder. And that's yeah. how yeah. Dewey comes to inclusion. Oh, my God, it's Jill. Well, in the alternate scene, Gail asks why she only got stabbed in the shoulder and Dewey guesses it's so Gail could live to write the book. And Gail says, yep, it'll sell a million copies. It'll be a huge hit. And that's when Dewey comes to the conclusion that Jill wanted Gail to live so she could write the story about Jill. Which makes mm-hmm. sense because the way that Gail gets stabbed looks a little silly, right? Because yeah. you're, it's so almost like she's going to stab her in the heart and then, yeah, then goes over I, the shot. I actually that's, like that better. That to me is a little more satisfying. Like, okay, well, that makes a little yeah, more sense as so to too. why you don't just kill her, you know? So, But the one of the biggest changes is the opening. Now, the whole stab seven, stab six thing still happens, right? And then the pranks that Marnie and Ginny play on each other still occur. But it's a pretty well-directed scene. You see 
Marnie in front of the fridge and Jill is, I'm sorry. And Jenny's talking to her on the couch. Marnie opens up the, the freezer and they're still talking. And then she closes it again. And Ghostface is just standing there in the doorway. And then she turns around and Ghostface is standing right behind Jenny. But Marnie still thinks it's a joke. So she's like, okay, who's, you know, yeah. who's this one behind? Da, da, da. And then it's only when Jenny starts getting stabbed to death that she like kind of walks over and sees that the stabbing's actually happening. That's when she realizes oh, it's real. Wow. So then Marnie gets chased, and right as Ghostface is about to, to kill her, she says, you got me. As in like, like it was a joke or something disturbing like that. I don't know. I thought it was really good. Have, has anybody <laughs> yeah. seen that original opening? No, I haven't. Yeah. I, want, I want to now. Jeez. Yeah, I saw it. What do you think I, about uh, that? I kind of like it. I don't know. I think it would have worked. I somewhat felt like it was a little long, but at the same time, it it was a nice opening because the idea that like it's this this joke, I don't know. It just ties in pretty well with the rest of the movie. It's like one of those satirical moments. So yeah, it is a really good scene. The number one deleted scene that should have been in would have been the aftermath. And then I think that that original opening would have also worked. It was, it was well-planned. Mm. Both of them, they would have worked really well together. I think the, yeah, especially because you're thinking about the fact that we, the audience, are already left uncertain as to what's going on because we've been fooled by the Stab 6 opening, the Stab 7 opening, and now even Marnie is still not convinced that Ginny's actually being killed. And even we as an audience are kind of like, is this, are we going to have another flash cut to Stab 5 or something like that, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it just keeps going and going, and then it's not until we see Scream 4 we realize, okay, now we are in this reality. I, I don't know. Check out, all the stuff is available on YouTube. It's all out there, folks. Definitely check it out. Well, we got to get out of this section. We've had a good time in this section. I always love talking about the, the history behind the making of this stuff because a lot of people maybe don't know about it. And now hopefully you do. But now it's time to really get into the, the bread and butter of the movie in which we watched again recently. And that is Scray 4M. And we're going to go to our next section, a section called What Are the Rules? What are the rules? What are the rules? What are the rules? It's funny, you know, the first three movies, they had like, you know, I think three concrete rules, right? This movie's got a million rules (laughs) that kind of get dropped off. So let's go through these and see. It's it's, it's kind of loosely dropped out throughout the movie. So let's see who, who followed the rules or who didn't and maybe died. So one of the rules is the death scenes have to be way more extreme. And I'll tell you what, this is easily the most violent movie of the series. I was yeah. stunned with some of the, the, the gruesomeness of these deaths, right? So, you know. Yeah, like Anthony Anderson's, I was, that was way more graphic than I remembered, even though it's kind of undercut by this joke shortly afterwards. But, um, and then even, even just the entrails we see, I know we see yeah. some of that in the first screen, but they just hold on it a lot more and it's, they're a lot meatier and, and more graphic. Well, even the first one, those are, that's the director's cut or the, the VHS version, the theatrical release. You don't see a lot of that, the guts or whatever. So this is much more. Much more graphics, so there you go. Unexpected is the new cliche. Well, you know, we'll save some of the Jill discussion, but I was definitely shocked by that reveal later on. Mm. Virgins can die now. Now, I'm not sure if anybody in this movie was explicitly a virgin. Maybe we're led to believe that Robbie's a virgin. Maybe even Charlie. Maybe. I don't know. You never want to presuppose these things, everybody. Word of advice. 
Uh, let's see here. There was new versions are always 2.0, so the latest technology is always involved and integral to the plot. This means the killer may start filming the murder as well. As we know, that definitely happened. And obviously Robbie's web series with the webcam was involved in the movie a lot. You have to have an opening sequence. Guess what? We had three opening sequences, so that yeah, definitely delivered. If you want to survive in a modern-day horror movie, you pretty much have to be gay. Well, unless Robbie was lying, we learned that that is also not necessarily the case. Uh, but, of course, the number one rule. And my fa- maybe my favorite line from the movie, and honestly... Oh, hell yeah. My, more, more often than not, my ethos when it comes to horror movies in general and remakes... Don't fuck with the original. Yep. And, uh, well, they tried to fuck with the original and ended up getting shot in the head. So <laughs> those were the, yeah, there's a lot of rules. There's no, like, you know, Randy always had his great segments in those movies where he'd sit down and talk about it to a group of people, to Dewey, or when his weird sister shows up on the Hollywood film set <laughs> and drops off a video tape. But uh, it's a little more fast and loose with this, with this, uh, Reboot of the Scream series, I guess, if you want to call it for 2011. I'm not that sure if that term was really being dropped around that much back then, but there you go. Anything else about the rules that you that you maybe realized this time around, or is that pretty much sum it up? That's pretty good summation. I, I don't. Yeah. I didn't. I was trying to go over my notes, and I left that blank I mean, because, I, it, like you said, it's so sporadically kind of talked about. Generally, it's never someone saying like. Here are the seven rules. Yeah, a remake. I was gonna say, I feel like it's almost a more of like the only rule is there are no rules ethos, right? Because I feel Mm. like most of them just get disregarded anyway. I mean, mean, and I think the movie knows it's doing that, like especially with the the gay one, right? Like, I think they, I think the movie's knowing, like, oh yeah, rules, haha, and that which which is a lot of fun. I think does speak to the the state of modern horror anyway. I mean, there's so much stuff that's been done at this point. I mean, the character of, and this is the name of the credits, Anthony Perkins, played by Anthony Anderson. Yeah. Funny bit there. I guess they probably wanted to play his, on his actual name and the last name Perkins. But he does say, think, I'll uh, be right back. And then he yeah. goes, oh, what's, oh, I shouldn't have said that. And of course. So does Jill's, Jill's mom mentions it when she goes right. to uh, That's right. get the groceries, the second bed of groceries too. And even though she does come back, you know, it eventually, she eventually does die. Just saying it alone. You're just, mm-hmm. you're dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I will say one thing though, that seems to be a pretty common theme also, it's not necessarily expressed in the rules, but it's kind of like in the movie itself is that because this film does comment on remakes and reboots that things have to be similar. I mean, they talk about it like, you know, the party was the the final scene in this one. It's kind of like the fake out for this movie. And and it's, yeah. you know, goes back to, to Kirby's house, but then that doesn't even work there. Then they have to go to the hospital and Jill's talking about like, this just seems, you know, unnecessary to go into this other little extra bit because she planned out how kind of the movie would go based on being similar but but different. Well, that's what I like about the finale is that yeah. that bit of her saying you were supposed to die in the house. This hospital scene seems so tacked on. It's this is cliche. And then Sydney says, consider this an alternate ending. I mean, that's literally a commentary on them having to make this new ending. So I kind of forgive it for that. But even though I, I do yeah. wish it had just ended at the house, you know. Oh, God, help us all. You know what another rule should be? I know they kind of make allusions to it with Don't Fuck With the Original. Don't try to kill Sidney Prescott. <laughs> How about that? Yeah. 
Don't even try She's like it. Michael Myers, right? <laughs> She's like Michael fucking Myers, which Jill actually says to her in the hospital. It's yeah. true. Do not try to murder Sidney Prescott, and you have a better chance of living through that than being killed by Ghostface. You know, it's, it's like the, the plane crash, car crash comparison. I mean, come on, folks. Oh, God. So a bunch of rules to go over. If we missed anything, please make sure you at Dan Caffrey on Twitter. Specifically, hey, no. you're the host. Hey, no, 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 please. Again, we, we made an agreement at Dan Caffrey on Twitter. It's Thank DW you. Caffrey. It's actually DW Caffrey. So you, you would have led them to oh, someone else. No, no, you go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Do you think, I mean, these were the rules that were kind of discussed in this movie. I mean, as far as remakes go, do you think that they're, they've been pretty true to remakes as we've known them over the years, not only up until 2011 when they were pretty much on the rise to even now. Cause I mean, there's, there are some elements when it's like, yeah, there's some modern technology, but I feel like it's, it's kind of all over the place. I don't know if there necessarily were these rules and if they apply to everything, but maybe. I don't know if everything is applied, but I mean, you definitely see movies like, you know, like, and look at the new Halloween movies. Like they said, they're going to return to, you know, the quiet, simple, yeah, but it, the, the kills are very extreme and they're very much more like along, along the lines of like the Rob Zombie stuff. Or you look at, uh, you know, I always bring up Star Wars, but like the whole mirroring, mirroring the story beats as a remake, they do that in force awakens. And, you know, they do that in a lot of these. So I think some of these things, it's almost like you don't have to do all of these things in a remake, but usually one is like the driving force of that remake. Well, I think if you look at a lot of movies in the last, in the two thousands and she, and Kirby lists a bunch of them off, obviously you've got to incorporate the use of cell phones, which changes a lot of, of, of beats yeah. and horror movies, but even something like Halloween resurrection, which came out in between scream three and scream four, that's definitely incorporating, you know, GoPros and the internet and yeah. everything else. So that's that's kind of being updated as these movies do try to go with the times a lot of the time, whether it's a sequel, a soft reboot, or a flat-out remake. You know, they're trying to keep with the times but still try to keep it scary, which can become complicated because we do live in such a communication age where everybody's so accessible. You know, it, it, it still becomes a bit of a an obstacle to step over when it comes to any of these movies. But uh, I think the movie does a pretty good job with that. I, you know, the thing is, of all the things that don't quite work 100% is I don't know a lot of people that have may, – maybe I'm out of the loop. But I don't know a lot of people who have web series where they're using, like, GoPro cams, especially the or type that Robbie had lives, in this movie, you know? Mm-hmm. Live streaming their entire life, like, constantly, like, human show-esque. <laughs> it seems kind of – Yeah. That didn't he kept saying, catch like, on. they were live streaming it. So I was like, okay, so this is all live. It's not like you're going to go back and edit this footage. Like, it's actually live streaming to something. But they never show anybody watching it, <laughs> which I thought was interesting. Yeah. I mean, they do. Yeah, I think that was sort of a brief win. I mean, that was almost like that era's TikTok in kind of a way. Because it, obviously, mm-hmm. we live online a lot now. And we have a lot of yeah. uh, videos of our whole lives online. But they're much more curated, I think, you know. I mean, I guess the, the closest you would get is doing you know, like we do sometimes Instagram live or a live feed, but I think that, yeah, I think the whole like GoPro, which is, we see in Halloween resurrection also makes it this, I feel like that was kind of a fad a little bit. I mean, not the GoPros don't exist still. Um, and there's that, there's that video of that brass band this week with, um, someone, the singer doing something dirty on stage and the guy had a GoPro camera on. Oh no, <laughs> I, I think I missed that one. Oh, uh, it's, it's pretty funny. Um, but I, I mean, GoPros are still a thing, but yeah, I feel like this idea of, yeah, we're gonna mount this to the top. I mean, even like Radiohead at that time, they did that concert, that 
I think that Scotch Miss concert where they all had GoPros on. So yeah, that was like 2007 ish. So yeah. Yeah. I feel like it was kind of a short, like the sort of precursor to the more curated stuff that we see nowadays. I think that people couldn't do it anymore and be taken seriously after, I think it was about six, seven years ago, Tim and Eric did Tim and Eric <laughs> GoPro. It's all on YouTube. <laughs> so funny. Look it up. They, they have interactions with Tom Cruise and Steven Spielberg. Definitely them, by the way. It's quite amusing. Uh, so I think that we're ready to move on to the next section. I think, uh, I think. I think I love you. Hey, I think I love you. So what am I so afraid of? I'm afraid that I'm not sure of. I love there is no cure for. I think I love you. It'd be funny if we got dinged by the estate of like David Cast or something because somebody sang. Like, listen, we heard that you were singing. I think I love you on our on the podcast. But uh, it's funny enough. David Cassidy's daughter, Katie Cassidy, was in. Nightmare on Elm Street remake. Thank you very much, Tandra. Correct, hundred uh, percent. Good job. <laughs> very good. That's why you're here. That's why you're here. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> yeah. So, so there's I not dead silence. Like, no, nobody knows. No, we, we invite you for a reason. <laughs> That's you right. Much deeper knowledge than uh, than Mike was like. I don't know. She well, she does know a lot about the Nightmare on Elm Street remake. Like, All right, well, let's bring her on. Let's bring her on. Uh, <laughs> but this section, we are going to talk about the songs and the score uh, in Scream Four. Eh, he was a poet, didn't know it. Unfortunately, you know, I, I did get a lot of information about these artists and where the songs take place and everything else, but I can't say I, I went to the links of Mike Vanderbilt. But to be fair, there really isn't a lot of connective tissue. There's no, you know, Rockathon records to be talked about. There's no TVT records. This really is like a really strange hodgepodge of artists brought together. Like I was really looking for some weird web, you know, really looking well, I- deep for it. But Mac, did you find something maybe I did not find? No, I, I I just remember I was posting about our like the upcoming episode, and I you know I you know just on Instagram typed in the you know Scream Four soundtrack, you know, and all these songs came up, and I was like, I, I don't know any of this. Well, I, I would know. define. I, I didn't even recognize it in the film. I didn't even thinking back to watching the movie. I, I can't key in on specific music. The only thing I keyed in on was like. Oh, this is clearly Beltrami doing the score again, you know, because it oh, does yeah. sound like Scream. And I really, I always appreciate when it sounds like. Beltrami is on, he has a few of his musical selections on the soundtrack. There was also a separate yeah. score released with all of his music and that's to be yeah. found elsewhere. Do we too. even get Red Right Hand in this? That's I'm just a, thinking Dan, about that now. What an incredible, no. tra- incredible accidental transition. <laughs> no, no. Because this soundtrack was released through Lakeshore Records. And guess what artist Lakeshore Records has put out over the years? Nick Cave. Nick Cave. Bad seeds. Who's Red Right Hand somehow, despite all that, does not feature in this movie. This is, that's kind of like so having a Bond movie without the gun barrel sequence to me. It's very strange well, I, to not have it involved at all. But it's also like that thing where if they were really trying to... This was kind of supposed to be the beginning of a new trilogy. I can kind of understand like them not maybe not doing that because then maybe in the second one, there would have been something from this one that carried over and do the, that do would the have been Pete kind Yorn, of like the red right hand of that franchise. Do yeah. the Pete Yorn red right <laughs> hand from Hellboy. That's what we need. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Deandre, I'm not sure where you're, where you're based out of, but do you have like a lot of music festivals you've been to or in your region or anything like that over the last 10, 15 years? Trust me, this is oh, leading dang. somewhere. I promise. So I've been to a lot of concerts, but not necessarily a lot of music festivals. We have some here. Okay. Um, there is one. There's. Uh, I'm, I live in Columbus, Ohio. So we have uh, Sonic Temple. It used hmm. to be a, a Rock on hmm. the Range. Um, 
I can't say that we do. I mean, some other music festivals are not that far away. Um, I think Bonnaroo is not that far away, but like, it's yeah. not, there's not like a bunch here, yeah. but what we do have is, is pretty much rock and roll, which I'm happy that we do have here. Well, well I was going to say Columbus is a, a big music city, right? Like it's a college town. It's, I feel like a lot of yeah. shows go through there. Yeah. Yeah. But surprisingly, okay. not as much as I would think they usually go to Col- Cleveland and Cincinnati, even though Columbus is the second largest city in the Midwest. Well, I mean, um, to be fair, as Huey Lewis said, the heart of rock and roll is in Cleveland. So, um, you know, tiebreaker, you gotta, you gotta go to Cleveland. So that, <laughs> gotta go to Cleveland. Gotta, I, is, I'm not going to disagree with that. <laughs> I've been saying it for years. You gotta go to Cleveland. Where, where was this going? This was all going to the point where this soundtrack has got two songs from the band of the sounds. Now, Dan, you might agree with me as a fellow We've been to many festivals, music festivals together over the years. Mac, you too. The sounds were kind of this, and they're still around, but they were this fringy, new wavy synth pop band. They would always play at at noon on a Saturday during a music festival. You know, I actually, uh, they never I- broke through into like a later, like an evening set. Like they were always like these perennial, like eleven a.m., twelve p.m. start times for this type of a band and music festivals for like five years there. I actually, in no joke, I interviewed uh, the singer for the sounds or when I worked at Groupon, we had this brief period where we were doing interviews with um, the shows that we would put out Groupons for. She was super nice. And I got free tickets to the show. Uh, our friend Colin Brennan went with me and I got to say, cause I didn't know much about them until I interviewed them. A really like raucous show at the Metro. I, I don't know if it was sold out or anything, but yeah. I was they just surprised never how through. energetic it was. They never yeah, broke through. I, they, I think they might have a new one coming out. I, I kind of kept up for them for, for with them for a little bit because um, I, I had a really good time at that um, at that concert. But uh, yeah, it's yeah, I'm a, I'm like a I'm a casual sounds fan. Very nice, sweet. They're Swedish, uh, super nice and uh, uh, polite. And yeah, they had they had an album that came out last year. Things we do for love. Things we do let's, for love. Let's see how. And also, to, it's sometimes hard to tell, especially with like global bands like. They never broke through to that headlining slot over here, right? But what about a Swedish festival? I don't know. Maybe they would. Uh, maybe they would have something going on. Like if I look them up on, uh, see how many hits they get on. Well, when you look Spotify. that up, I will say that if they ever have an unplugged album, I, w- I would hope they would call it "The Sounds of Silence." <laughs> Thank you. Very oh, good. Boy. So they've got two songs here. Something to die for is the song that we hear. Uh, when Scream 4 flashes across the screen and it leads into the opening scene. They also... I, I can't remember where the second song, the Yeah, Yeah, Yeah song takes place. Not to be confused with the Flaming Lips Yeah, Yeah, Yeah song. But they're, yeah, yeah, like yeah, so they got yeah, two yeah, songs yeah, featured yeah, yeah, in this movie. Another band by the name of Ida Maria, not to be confused with Ave Maria. Beautiful song. Uh, they've got a song called Bad Karma, which is one of four songs played in the closing credits. That's how long credits are now. Four songs are played during the closing credits of this movie. I feel like the first Scream movie, maybe two songs were played. I think it was uh, Whisper to a Scream, a reprise of the Marco Beltrami score, and that was it. I think that was it. They didn't didn't replay Youth of America. That was the song (laughs) I remembered from. Well, because the Scream VHS came with like the... They don't do the same way. I feel like old VHSs would come for an advertisement for the soundtrack ahead of the movie. And I remember they showed Bird Brain playing. They say a prayer for the youth. And I was like, oh, yeah. Scream 4 doesn't even have that, though. Please, (laughs) if anybody wants to chime in with their thoughts about any of the bands or songs I'm going to be naming, just jump right in there and just start talking. I'm I'm begging you. And I'm I'm challenging any of you to look at some of the soundtrack. Next up, this is what you want when you go to the dentist. 
the Novocanes and their song <laughs> Cup of Coffee, which is Kirby's theme in my heart. This is when she's driving, talking to Jill on the phone in the beginning of the movie. Yeah, uh, you did a lot of research on, on hey, this, Justin. I, I really gotta, do. I but say. to be fair, the next artist, the Chang Gang of 1974, with the song Make My Body. And I read this great review. It said their 2011 album Wayward Fire has, quote-unquote, a perfectly tolerable set of songs, damn beat to them. And that was by Justin Gerber uh, from Consequence of Sound, who reviewed their Wayward Fire album. I guess I say, Chang Gang of 1974. Album? That doesn't sound that great. That was a positive review. Over. It, was, it was a tolerable, it was a pretty good album. Good mm. live show at Lollapalooza. <laughs> Once again, it was like a, a 12 p.m. set on a, on a Saturday, I believe it was. Uh, that's their song is played during the beginning of the Stabathon. Then you got, then this is not a cover of the Beatles song by Six Day Riot, Run For Your Life, which is another song played during the closing credits. And then we get a full-on cover of the Axel F theme song from Beverly Hills Cop, the cover by Rainey Shockney. It's a cover of Harold Faltermeyer's song. Oh, I assumed it was just the, just the regular it's one. Not, it's not. We, we hear it just for the the alarm clock. Wow, that's. Re- I mean, I feel like they probably had to do that for rights reasons. Maybe right? so. I know because it's it's Dewey's alarm is is the Beverly Cop theme song, right? Uh, and then Robin Hood himself, Loxley, with the song <laughs> on. Everybody's shaking their head at me. It's very disappointing. Yeah. Their song on fire is in the end credits, but. Not I'm on fire. No, I had the boss hey, little girls, stuff, your daddy home. Cool. Do you go and leave you all alone? That would I'm on fire would be a good a good uh, song for the Scream soundtrack. Even a cover of it, I think that's on Scream Five. That's <laughs> <laughs> really not. No way. Okay, you just have all this money to do all these Bruce. It's like all Bruce. I mean, hey, Scream Five scored entirely by Bruce Springsteen, and he can cover Red Right Hand. I'm here what for if it. It's just like uh, the rest. What if the, the opening of the movie is the, is literally the tra- the trailer, and it pans out, and the trailer is being played on the TV, and it just follows Bruce Springsteen walking around Woodsboro singing songs about ghosts. It, it's it's him wearing like the cloak, but not the mask. You know, it's just—it's like where do we squeeze like, in Weird Al Yankovic? Like where do oh, we squeeze in? He, he's biting like, oh the God. mask into his guitar, and he's just playing. And has Weird Al? I feel like Weird Al has to have. Has he? Does he have any connection to any songs that have been on the Scream soundtrack? He's never spoofed Red Right Hand or anything. It's I don't think that, so. That I, I think we got to look into this. Have, right? We have to stop the podcast right now and, and, and investigate this for twenty-five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but listen, fun fact: Loxley. Who once again did the song On Fire, another song in the end credits. We talked about them before on this main feed because they have been on another horror franchise soundtrack. Can somebody name the movie that they were on? The main feed, not the Patreon feed. The main feed. I always lose track of what was on the main feed and what was on the Patreon feed. Well, what it's other not... horror movie remakes were around this House time? of Wax? No, no, that's the Patreon. We would never discuss Patreon. that on this feed. I'll, I'll 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 stop the suspense. The Friday Thirteenth remake. Nah, there. Don't make me wait. <laughs> is on the Friday Thirteenth remake soundtrack. So there you go. Don't make me wait for that movie to end. It's like, <laughs> so long and boring. I hate, I hate Mike, that movie. Mike's gonna yeah. come for you. Well, I fell asleep in that shit. Awful. Yeah, not a big fan of that remake. DeAndre, where do you stand on the Friday Thirteenth remake? <laughs> Let's talk about this again. So the first, I remember. 
I uh, actually went to see it with my grandma, which is very weird. She used to Whoa. go to movies with me a lot. Yeah. Wow. And I was like, oh, no, I figure like I want to go watch this because, you know, it was the time when I was like, anything more I want to see. And uh, we sat through the whole thing laughing. I was like, grandma, you don't even like horror movies. And we were just laughing. And then I revisited it not that long ago. I was like, fine. I remember laughing. I felt like I was pretty darn good for me. But I mean, I don't know. It. It kind of missed the mark a little bit, but I still feel like it was a pretty darn good movie <laughs> now that I've grown up a little bit. But it's, look, it's got it's, it's definitely has its fans. It definitely has, our very own Mike Robbins is, is a fan of that. Is a fan of that particular picture. So there you go. And obviously, Loxley was a huge fan. They 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 were gracious enough to give their song to it. You know, the band say hi, hi. They had a song called Devils. That is also in the end credit sequence. I'm telling you, this is like the Lord of the Rings over here with the end credits being this long to have four different songs on there. And of course, the band, not mono white, but stereo black. They had a song called Denial. And I do not remember where this, this song is in the movie, though. Does anybody remember where this song is? I got to be honest. The music was not the, I mean, I, I didn't did dislike resonate. it. Yeah. I didn't. Yeah. It just didn't pop out for me. I like it does. There's nothing again, really, there's no signature. Even, even though we don't like the scream three soundtrack, at least it's like, Oh, this is the era. And this is, these are like the big bands of this era. And it's kind of that creed sound. This makes sense. But this is kind of like, I a did like the intro song thing. though. Yeah. The sounds, the that sounds one I songs enjoy. Good. Yeah. I really yeah, like that, that one. That, that stuck out to me because it, I, I, then I was really racking my brain. Like, they, they don't normally have music kick in for the opening credits. It's usually just like the slash and then they hear like the, the phone, phone ringing the, or something or, or, or the movie is playing in the background or whatever it is. But well, this uh, is post, this is during when it says stream four after the opening yeah, sequence. I mean. And then you kind of go to like the, the scenes. I, I, you know, anyway, long story short, those are the songs of America at the time, AKA the sounds and scores and screams from Scray or M. So what? And again, the remarkable trauma music is once again, you know, it's, it's there again. It's just, it's a nice little solid addition. Yeah, it, and you can, there's a couple of recurring themes that you recognize, especially when you see Wordsboro High. You get the old score kicking in for the old nostalgia factor, right? Yeah, I was gonna say that when whenever they do like the kind of like flyby of the school or whatever it is, and that music kicks in with the with the choir, you know, it's like, okay, I feel like I'm at home again. I'm back in Woodsboro. It feels like it does kind of feel comforting in a weird way. I think that he does a really good job of kind of taking the score and again, realizing it and not batting, you know, hitting you over the head with it. But I think it's very serviceable and kind of a nice little welcome home kind of thing. Well, something else I appreciated. Now, Deandre, I'd love to get your take on this too. I am a noted anti Dewey's theme from that, that's introduced in scream two and scream three, the, which they use the broken arrow music, the ding, 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 ding. So it's gone here, but there's a, it's, it's like a slight remake. It's called Dewey yeah. in the morning, uh, which I actually like a lot more than that broken arrow theme. That's used in, in the you second. Just third called one. it Morning Dewey. Like that. What a missed uh, opportunity. That's what I thought. Hundred percent agree. <laughs> I don't understand. It's sitting right there for you. Hey, look. That's why Lakewood, or I'm sorry, you know, Lakeshore Entertainment, Lakeshore Records should have hired us. I mean, I understand what the problem is. We, these soundtrack yeah, names are sitting like right a, there. A Dewey Morning. This is our pitch for Scream Six. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's all about Marco Beltrami's Dewey theme. <laughs> what if he's? What if it turns out in the next one, Dewey is retired from being a cop. He's now a mountaineer, and they could call it Mountain Dewey. You know, I mean, these are also <laughs> great bits that are just waiting to be recycled. I've always thought that Dewey's theme from Broken Arrow. I, I've always weirdly thought it sounded like it should be on Twin Peaks or something. One hundred percent agree. It, yeah, it has Twin Peaks. I, I, I like about Dewey's that theme. Yeah, I don't. I never, I never have. have. Never, Once I again, I never liked it. Never liked it. DeAndre, I'm sorry if you liked it. It's, it's, liked it. it's no uh, Laurie and. Uh, I compare to Laurie's theme <laughs> to the Myers House theme. <laughs> no, the the Laurie and Hawkins theme in Halloween Kills. You know the like piano. Romantic music it's a great plays track. when they're oh, look. in the hospital and you're like, ugh. I would never try to compare anything to Halloween Kills. <laughs> I'd never go so far as to do that. As to do that. Do we that? This is the end of our show. For now. Tune in next week. If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, Nightmare on Film Street, and more. <laughs> 